This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Spring is behind us and the dog days of summer are ahead. Well, this means we're heading into midsummer. It's a time when the snow runoff is receding, so water levels are nearing normal. Now, there's some exceptions to that, but for the most part, hey, we are ready for midsummer fly fishing. And today we want to share some tips to make your midsummer fly fishing successful. As always, we are aiming to help new fly fishers, so we might just state the obvious to some of you. But we've also learned that it's helpful for veterans to review what they already know. So whether you're a rookie or a seasoned veteran, a newbie or an expert, a struggling fly fisher like Dave. (laughs) uh, No, actually like me. Or a fly fisher who has it all together. That's neither one of us. uh, We want to share six tips. And it's often the little adjustments that make the biggest difference. So here are six tips from uh, fly fishers who do not have it all together, but we're going to uh, uh, tell you what we don't know anyway. (laughs) Yeah, seriously, Dave, what's one of the more helpful tips that uh, we could offer people about successful midsummer fly fishing? The first is to fish the low light, so early mornings or later evenings. Somewhere in late May or June, the the 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. window tends to close. It's not always true, but it tends to close. So the water warms up, and and it doesn't mean you never catch fish in the middle of the day, but certainly betas, you know, and, and even caddis, you're just not catching them. There's just, at least I've not seen the hatches in the middle of the day like that. So So I think the thinking is to concentrate on early mornings and later evenings. And to be honest, I've had more success, or you and I have had more success in later evenings, uh, fishing like the Fall River uh, in in, uh, Rocky Mountain National Park. Uh, We fished a small, really nice creek in mid-July, I think, or early August in uh, in the Minnesota Driftless, different than the one we normally fish. We had a great, great evening on... Uh, well, catching browns on basically, uh, weren't they? Wasn't a purple haze? Yeah, yeah, it was purple yeah. haze or even just a parachute Adams. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was just some great fishing. So, take a siesta during the day. It gives fish a break in the heat of the day as well. So, if you do catch a fish in the middle of the day, it puts a lot of stress on the fish. Um, out in Montana, they have restrictions uh, usually after 11 a.m. and I think really. Uh, don't it depends on the year, but some during some really warm summers, they actually put some restrictions on fly fishers. So the first point is fish the low light, that is early mornings and later evenings. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, the, the second tip maybe provides the exception to that. Uh, the second tip is include PMDs in your fly box. Uh, in other words, pale morning duns. As their name suggests, pale morning duns have a pale yellowed color body with uh, uh, either yellow-gray wings or pale-gray wings. Uh, The females have yellow-gray, the males have pale-gray, and they also have small hind wings. Now, 
PMDs inhabit all kinds of rivers and streams in the western part of the United States, and you'll find the heaviest populations in spring creeks and tailwaters. I think I've I've had most success on PMDs in uh, the Owyhee River in eastern Oregon, which is a tailwater comes out of a you know, comes out of a dam, and uh, so it, it's a perfect place for them. Now, these hatches are most prolific in June and July, although they, they appear in May and sometimes continue into August. But here's the deal. The best time of day for pale morning dun hatches is late morning to early afternoon. Uh, so uh, despite the name, pale morning dun, uh, late morning, early afternoon, uh, hatches can begin as early as 9, but usually it's 11 uh, about 11 a.m. when they're going to be you know, really picking up more full force. And then they continue into the afternoon, you know, until 2 or 3. So this would be the exception to the kind of the siesta at midday uh, approach. Uh, so if, if, you're on a, if you're on water where there are PMD hatches, and again, uh, standard answer, if you want to know how, whether or not that's the case, check with your uh, uh, local fly shop. But if, if you use a PMD, if you want a nymph pattern, uh, classic is a hare's ear in kind of an olive brown color. And then for the done stage, the adult stage, uh, we like Craig Matthews' Pale Morning Sparkle Done. because That would be my favorite. Uh, for the spinner stage, uh, you know, after uh, they're, they're flying around and they're, they're falling, kind of spinning down to the surface of the water, uh, try a PMD parachute spinner or a, a pale morning quill spinner. And what I've found is that PMDs need to be in the size 16 to 18 range uh, if, if you're using nymphs. Now, for uh, PMD done and spinner patterns, uh, between 16 and 20, I'm, I'm usually fishing in 18 or 20. Uh, again, I don't I don't catch as many trout on PMDs as I do on blue-wing olives or, uh, you know, BWO patterns. But I, I have had some good days or windows. I, I remember one day on the Owyhee with my son Luke. I think he was in, you know, if he was in middle school at that point and we're, we're fishing. And he goes, hey, Dad, he says, I, I think I've seen a couple of those pale flies emerging. That's what he called them. And, and sure enough, there were, and, and we switched to uh, pale morning dun patterns. We started catching, uh, I think we each caught two or three browns out of one little run. So, uh, yeah, that's a, uh, that's a second tip that kind of complements the first one. You know, yeah, fish the low light early morning and later evenings. But if you're somewhere where there are PMDs, uh, you can fish those midday. So make sure you have those in your fly box. Dave, what else would you say to fly fishers as far as tips for yeah successful midsummer fly fishing i think a great day is when you can wet wade that is you can wade without uh without waders and we've discussed this so often but summer is really a time in my mind to fish simply i remember when you and i first started fishing together and you were the one who introduced me to fly fishing I am pretty sure I didn't have waders for the first few years. Even deep into fall, if I was waiting, I was waiting <laughs> 
probably with these big hiking boots. <laughs> and I and I used to just get them really wet. Obviously, when you step into the river, they're wet. But uh, and I remember drying them out. It took about a full day to dry those uh, big uh, wading. They weren't wading boots. They were actually big hiking boots with Vibram soles. It took 24 hours for them to dry out. And uh, and the environment. It took the environment <laughs> 24 years to recover from those Vibram soles. <laughs> oh, that is so hilarious. That is so oh, true. Man. So today you have wading shoes. You can buy a pair of wading shoes for about a hundred bucks. But so you'll stay cooler. And now waders do offer some protection against snake bites. In fact, one of our biggest, well, one of our best days on the river, it was a small creek in Montana. It was probably the best day I've ever had fly fishing. It was a 90 degree day by the time time the top or the high temperature hit like at 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And it was, it was miserable by the end of the day, but we did it because of the risk of rattlesnakes. We actually did see a rattlesnake as we were driving. It was a dead rattlesnake on the road as we were driving into park uh, before we fished. So, but wet wading is just really a wonderful, wonderful aspect uh, of fly fishing. And I think you should give yourself the freedom in summer, in the heat of summer, to wet wade uh, if you can. Hey, two things about that, Dave. Um... You know, one is when we talk about wearing waders for uh, a hedge against rattlesnakes, I mean, we, we understand waders are not made of Kevlar. Uh, I mean, they, they may not seem to offer a lot of protection, but a lot of waders are, you know, they're a little looser, they're a little baggier. And so the idea is, uh, you know, you get a rattler or it could be a copperhead or a water moccasin, depending where you're fishing, that, that strikes. Uh, they may get hung up in the, uh, you know, in the waders uh, rather than, uh, you know, making it to your, uh, your leg. Hey, the second thing I'm just curious, uh, it'd be good to talk about if you're wet wading, what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of pants do you wear shorts, do you wear pants? I mean, back in the day, remember Dave, what we used to wear jean cutoffs and, and we, 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 we cut those things off so short that the white pocket would hang down below the, I mean, that's just an awful picture, isn't it? But I don't think uh, I. Do you have any pictures of us like that? Because that would be oh, that would be brutal. Our wives would post us, oh. those on Facebook and promote that to the world and mock us. I know. Well, you know what? I'm going to look for some. I I might. I don't know if I've got both of us, but I know I have some probably with my brother. So, but yeah. What what do you what do you wear these days? I mean, it seems like a. You know, a pair of jeans is going to be heavy. You're going to get waterlogged. But what do you we like to do? So Orvis and Patagonia and uh, Sims and some of them are quite expensive. Actually, I just ordered a pair of of, of pants. Um, but you can get fly. I don't know. They're not really fly fishing pants, but they they are like a dry fit pant. And I tend to like pants as opposed to uh, shorts, even though I will wear shorts like. Uh, there are times when I just wear my wading boots and a pair of shorts, and sometimes I'll wear those stocking foots. Uh, what are they called? Those uh, neoprene stockings, and yeah, and have them right. high up on the ankle. So there's really not that part of, much of my leg that's actually showing. But generally, I like to wear longer pants for obvious reasons uh, when you're when you're wet wading. Yeah, I agree. I, and I have a pair of, actually a couple pairs of Columbia. They're just nylon pants. I got them on sale 
uh, yeah, you, you don't have to have the the expensive fly fishing pants. Just just a pair of nylon pants because they they're light, they dry out quick. And and I have the same. I have shorts that are the same that are kind of that nylon, kind of a dry fit. Funny thing is, if I'm fishing in a bigger river, I'll wear the shorts. But if I'm fishing creeks, and you're right, so many times I've had uh, shorts on, and boy, at the end of the day, my legs just look like you know they've been I've been shot at or something. I mean, there's there's blood dripping down because. I remember one time in Rocky Mountain National Park up above Mills Lake, I was fishing with my brother and my son, and this wasn't that long ago, maybe four or five years ago, but we you know, we were fishing this little creek. I think it might have been the inlet to, there's another little lake above Mills, but we were back in the brush, and I fell, and I, oh man, my legs are so beat up, and I have a scar to this day, so that's why I wear usually wear nylon pants as opposed to shorts. Uh, it just protects you from getting scrapes and scratches, and, and, and also it can protect against the mosquitoes. All right, so in, in addition to uh, those three tips that we've just uh, shared, fishing the low light, making sure you got PMDs in your box, uh, trying wet wading, it just makes you a lot more comfortable even if you don't catch more fish. Uh, another one would be to try caddis flies in the evening. And I, I think we hear, especially if you live in the West, you hear about the Mother's Day caddis hatch. And even in the Midwest, you know, caddis flies in May and, and June. And sometimes you forget that later June and July evenings, there's still caddis flies around. Uh, my, my folks used to live like 100 yards from the banks of the Yellowstone River in Paradise Valley, uh, Montana, south of Livingston. They, they were right near the Mill Creek uh, uh, bridge and, and the Mill Creek Road, and uh, wow, sometimes we, we could hardly sit outside in, in my folks' back deck in the summer because, in the evening, because you open your mouth and, and you'd be ingesting caddis flies. I mean, they were really, really thick, and it just reminds me that uh, caddis flies are still there, uh, especially in the evening uh, during midsummer. I had a fly fishing friend named Duane who had a lot of success on the Madison, uh, just inside Yellowstone National Park from uh, Madison Junction out to uh, uh, kind of to where the Barnes pools are, uh, Reggie came into the park, and he'd fish you know, anywhere in there on some of these evenings, and yeah, he'd do really well on, on caddis flies. So yeah, that's, uh, that, that's another good uh, option. Well, recently I was in Colorado for a business trip and I was out in Western Colorado and there was someone uh, at the client uh, on the client side that had, had been a, or was a fly fisher and, and I asked him about fishing that night. I was going to go out. He said, yeah, don't even go out until about 8 p.m. because that's when the caddis start to hit. And so mm -hmm. if you're in Colorado uh, later evening is a good time to, to go out maybe only for a couple hours. Yeah, that's a great idea. So yeah, in the evening, I mean, I, I'm often, uh, my, my go-to fly might be a parachute Adams or a purple haze because I, I figure there's going to be mayflies on the water, but, uh, yeah, caddis flies are, are important. Uh, yeah, what else, Dave? Any other tips? Another one, and this is such an important one, and this is a corollary to something we mentioned earlier, but be on the alert for ticks. Watch for ticks. Check yourself for ticks. 
Uh, and this, again, may not be a reason to wet wade depending on your area of the country. And we had a listener remind us about ticks after we had done an episode talking about wet wading. And you know what? That is just very, very important. Certain parts of the country, you may want to wear chest waders simply to, to have fewer ticks on you when you're done with the day. You still have to check, uh, obviously, your hair and other parts that perhaps they fell into the you know, over the top of the waiter. But um, just recently, in fact, it was last weekend, a friend and I were watching MMA at night. We often do that on Saturday nights. And he had just... Wait, wait, you, you watch MMA? <laughs> I do. I, I have more expertise. You didn't know that? I didn't know that, yeah. I have a friend who uh, his son has started to get into that, and he's horrified because, man, you can really get your... Uh, Get your brains knocked out on that one. But anyway, but I digress. Go ahead. So you're watching MMA. You know, I wrestled uh, one year in high school, and my boys have all been wrestlers. So I've gravitated to the sport. Of course, MMA is a combination of striking, um, submission, and also wrestling. And often the wrestlers tend to be the best uh, MMA fighter because even if you don't strike that well, once you get people on the ground – it's very, you know, they call it the ground and pound. But anyway, so I digress. So yes, I, I do really like MMA. It's one of those dark pieces of, uh, of my life. But So we're watching MMA and all of a sudden he goes, hey Dave, I have a tick. And he said, I had taken a couple ticks off earlier, but here's another one. It was in the crook of his arm in the skin. It already started to burrow in. So we got a tweezers and uh, I helped him take the tick out. It wasn't that complicated. But ticks are just everywhere, and certainly where we fish in the driftless, that's true. Um, And by the way, you should probably also watch for snakes. We learned last year, uh, we stopped into uh, this sort of entry point or ranger station uh, where we normally fish at the state park and asked about snakes. They go, oh, yeah, 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 there's rattlesnakes. In fact, they've been coming back into the area. So it's also something, you know, you need to be aware of. Wow. Hey, I just can't get over that tick. So did you, number one, did you tell Jana, hey, you know, this, this guy, we just found a tick on him. And then second, did you spend like a half hour looking at the couch to make sure no ticks <laughs> fell off? I should have. I didn't. I, I mean, I got that one out and I, we, I wasn't sitting in the couch. We were up. He had this room. He has this small TV because the big TV was being used by his, who's, his daughter who's home from college. So we were watching it on the small TV in his office in his house. And so I was sitting on a, a, a hard chair, so there wasn't any soft cushion. And we were social distancing, of course, so I wasn't worried. Yeah, I know, that's a good tip. Hey, here, here's another one. Uh, triterrestrials, did I pronounce that right? That's a hard one. Triterrestrials yeah. and attractor patterns. Uh, this is the time of year trout are going to start feeding on terrestrials. Now, hopper season really doesn't pick up until uh, you get well into August. But I think black ants and beetles uh, work a lot sooner. So, uh, you know, think about those. And, and while you're at it, try some of the standard attractor patterns, uh, like a royal wolf or a royal trude. You know, uh, even a larger parachute atoms, that's... You know, it's, it's not even so much the pattern as much as it is the size. You can go a little bit larger or an HL variant or a stimulator. Now, now really, you know, you, you can probably, if, if you catch something on a humpy or a royal wolf or an HL variant, 
Uh, it's not like they're not going to take a parachute atoms, but uh, those flies just tend to be what? They, they just tend to be beefier. They're, there's more hair. They're, uh, you know, so they seem to, they don't get waterlogged as quick. You know, or a stimulator pattern is, is a good one. Man, you and I, Dave, have used a, an elk hair caddis uh, like an attractor pattern as well. So, uh, I, and I think those can imitate smaller hoppers. And earlier in the season, uh, that, that's what you're going to have when hoppers start to appear. They're going to be smaller. So, uh, yeah, I, I just think terrestrials and, and attractor patterns are really uh, a good way to go. I mean, we, we've got a lot of fish on those, haven't we? Just just doing that. We sure have. And the spruce moth as well, almost yes. used that as a, had that function as an attractor pattern, certainly for uh, when we were fishing for trout during hopper season. We'd fish hoppers until we ran out of all of our hoppers because they got so beat up. And then we'd start throwing on these other attractor patterns, such as the elk hair caddis and even the spruce moth. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Hey, I think we have time for one more. Do you have another or maybe a final uh, tip for uh, midsummer fly fishing? The last is to stock up on tiny imitations for trichos in later summer. They start really around mid, uh, mid-summer and go into early September, mid-September, and we don't, you don't really hear a lot of people talking about the trico. And, and the trico is a small mayfly that hatches really in prolific numbers from July uh, to mid-September, as I mentioned, really from Pennsylvania to California. The duns are pale and gray or olive in color with light gray wings. They tend to come off early in the morning. And, and I remember fishing uh, that creek in Montana several years ago, we, I think we started at 9.30. We got down to the creek at 9.30. It was the day that we planned to fish hoppers. And when we hit the creek, the trichos were already rising. And they're so tiny, I didn't even try to fish it. I mean, I have to tell you, it's tough to fish the trichos. They are, it's hard to catch a fish, I think, on a trico. I've done it. And you just have, I mean, partly because you're fishing flies that range between 18 and probably even 26 I mean, that's how tiny yeah. these, these things are. I, I saw that one author called the size 22 to 26 mayfly, which is the trico, he called it the white-winged curse, unquote, because it caused such selective feeding. In other words, when the flies coming off are that small, you pretty much can't cast anything that is going to, uh, it's going to be that small. So, uh Trichos are hard to fish, but it, they can be really productive, certainly early in the morning and later in the evening. All right. Well, there you have it. Some tips for safety, for strategy, maybe even for sanity. Well, except for that last one. I, I don't know how you can stay sane fishing a size 22 to a 26, but uh, midsummer is a great time for fly fishing, and we hope that you're able to get out. All right, it's time for great stuff from our listeners, but before we get there, uh, I, I want to ask Dave a, a little bit more personal question. You didn't know I'm going to ask this, but uh, uh, Dave, you recently made a, a purchase, and I'm, I'm wondering if you want to uh, uh, tell uh, your listeners uh, what you just bought. <laughs> if I tell my listeners and my wife listens to this podcast episode, I might be toast. <laughs> so I 
have never had a nine foot eight weight rod. And so I've been looking for an eight and a half four weight rod and I just has not, have not been able to find a good used one. I've been looking for either a, a Helios 2 or maybe a Boron 2 or Boron 3 that's used. And, and the one thing about all these markets uh, like uh, Facebook Marketplace and there's a great fly fishing uh, buy and sell community there and eBay you can buy used rods and it I don't know how to how to say it is that it's hard to find a good deal and by the way here's a tip if you can start looking and searching online at local fly shops for example there's a fly shop in South Dakota Rapid City South Dakota called something like Dakota Outfitter and Angler or Angler and Outfitter but it begins with Dakota not to belabor it is sometimes you can get better used fly rod deals at uh, at websites of local fly shops right so as opposed to using Facebook marketplace or eBay or someplace like that my point is I picked up a nine foot eight weight rod it was a boron 2 a Winston boron 2 and I picked it up for about three hundred and fifty dollars so it and it looked great. I, I just received the rod and there was a mismatched case. It's a Winston case, but it's for a different kind of rod. And that didn't matter to me. But the rod itself is in great shape. The cork is in great shape. And so I haven't used it yet, but I did go out, put it together and, you know, false casted, false cast it. Well, I don't know how I'm saying this, but I, you know, I cast without even a line on there. So I really like it. So I now have a nine foot eight weight rod. And so Steve, you and I gotta hit the hit the rivers up in Milwaukee and Wisconsin area this fall for salmon. Yes, we do. That'll be fun. And I'll, I'll be envious as I'm fishing with my Orvis nine foot eight weight rod and you've got your Winston. So that that's pretty cool. Dave, that's actually a that's a great deal. I'm I'm glad you were able to do that. So now uh, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Uh, we still get occasional comments about a piece we wrote over three years ago on fun facts about a river runs through it. And here's an excerpt from the most recent comment by Kalen. I think that's how you pronounce the name. Uh, just a few days ago, and this is what Kalen writes. I watched this movie when I was younger, but I rewatched it with my pops last weekend on my 34th birthday. I've been fishing a ton recently, and it's a new hobby as I didn't grow up doing a lot of fishing. But fishing, specifically fly fishing, is therapeutic. I'm blessed to live in Seattle where there are a lot of great spots all over just outside the city. I learned with classes, then a guide, and then I went solo for the first time yesterday, and I didn't get any strikes. I didn't stay as long as it was midday and it was hot, but my cast and mending are coming along. I retained so much info, he's saying from what he learned in his classes and with a guide, and I was able to utilize it. I will do this for the rest of my life. I'm hooked on fly fishing now. That is such a great comment. Yeah, and what I, what I like about that, I mean, that, that's a great way to do it. Take some classes, get a guide, and then, then strike out on your own and, and, uh, uh, yeah, your your casting and mending will come along. It it takes some time, but uh, Kalen's right. You 
you really do retain what you've learned in, in the classes and with a guide, and, and you're able to practice those, and uh, practice makes permanent. doesn't always make perfect. Uh, perfect practice makes uh, perfect, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's great, and, and Kalen's so right. I mean, how can you not be hooked on fly fishing? It's so therapeutic, and Wow, you're you're just out in such a great environment. So yeah, thanks so much, Kalen, for that comment. Before we end, I just want to say it would be great if some of you would go to our iTunes page and you know give us a five star. If you want to give us a one star, don't go to our iTunes page, <laughs> but we we actually have almost a five star rating on iTunes. We have 110 ratings and if you wanted to do that that would help us so if you're listening to this episode all the way to the end and you have an extra three or four minutes jump on itunes and and give us uh give us a rating that would that helps well that's gonna do it for today hey thanks again for listening i'm steve matthewson and i'm dave getz until next time we are two guys on a river for the love of fly fishing <laughs>